Welcome to a special encore presentation of Compassion Radio 360. reached the end of the week, which means it's Compassion Radio's 360 program, where we take a look around the world as it really is, and look for God as He really is in that world. Welcome to the microphone again, honey. Hi, it's good to be here. This week, we're not exactly ripping a headline. Yeah. We're looking back at something that seems like ancient history to us now, but the more I studied this particular story, I thought, man, what a story to tell today. Especially in an era where it seems like truth is pretty much in the crosshairs from so many sectors. Well, the story came up on a news site that you follow, a question-answer kind of site where people ask thought-provoking questions. About science, philosophy, history. whatever. And I'm sure there's a backstory to the question itself that brought up a lot of questions in my own life even. I've been to this place. We have seen this place. We know what this place is about. Perhaps our listeners would have heard of a place called Auschwitz in southern Poland. If you don't, you probably haven't gone to school, because it's part of 20th century history that is still shaping the way our world is acting or reacting or interacting today. Mm -hmm. There are wars being fought over the issues raised by what happened at Auschwitz and the right of people groups to mete out their own wrath upon other people groups. And those who would claim that that never happens or didn't happen, and there's been an argument over the factual basis for history and reality. Mm -hmm. We have to deal with subjects of justice, of righteousness, of truth. And for those who survived the Holocaust, the survivors themselves hung to the notion that God himself was righteous and had not forgotten them, even though it felt like he had. And even when they proclaimed that God must have forgotten us, the truth of what the Scripture said about who God is was something they still clung to. And for those who acted in ways that brought the reality of the Scriptures to real life, the survivors of the Holocaust would describe them as being righteous among the nations, even if they weren't Jewish. Mm. They did what was right in the time the right was required. In the eyes of the one who judges all, but also acts rightly with those in which context that person finds themselves. So the concept is a holistic one. You can't be righteous without acting rightly. And you can't be known to be righteous without being known by the people around you who can give testimony to the way you behaved in the time when the right thing was in danger. This story is one of those stories. So if you don't mind setting the context, and we'll start into this particular person's life. The question was asked, during the Holocaust, is there evidence of even a single SS soldier who stopped and said, this is immoral. I can't do this. So that's the question that was asked on this forum. The answer came back very surprising to me. And yet not surprising, because I believe that there is a goodness in humanity that's hidden oftentimes, but that it's there. This doctor showed that kind of goodness, and his name is Hans Munch. He was under the supervision and direction of Dr. Mengele, which if you know anything about World War II history, concentration camps, or Auschwitz, the Holocaust histories, you've heard that name. The word Mengele is synonymous nowadays with depravity and corruption of everything that was supposed to be good. The idea of a doctor being one that heals. 
Hippocratic Oath of never doing harm intentionally. This man went to the nth degree to pervert that calling and the trust that would be invested in doctors by humanity. Mm -hmm. We have to trust somebody when it comes to our own health and surviving things. We try to put that in our our doctors and our, our pastors and our priests. It is something that is just innate, I think, in humankind to try to find one righteous person that will not harm you. And so everything about Mengele's life tore that to shreds. Yeah. To think about this story of a righteous one not just being aware of Mengele as part of the SS and not just being a member of the SS yourself, but to be working under Mengele himself. That's the story of this man, Munch. Mm -hmm. It's a really short one. We'll read it to you here. In 1947, in Poland, communist authorities began a series of trials of people accused of participating in mass murder at Auschwitz. Now, the second of these trials involved 40 defendants, most of them highly placed officers and administrators in the camp. And again, they had a staff of thousands to take care of the business of the Nazis trying to exterminate millions. Mm -hmm. This was not a small operation. And you and I have walked the grounds of Auschwitz ourselves. Yes. We smelled the crematorium is still present after almost a century. It is a sickening experience to have to walk in the shadow of that much death. Yes. But we couldn't not bear witness to it. We had, if we're there, to see it, actually understand it. Mm -hmm. That's what you and I did when we walked through it. We prayed that God would help us to understand what we need to know about what's going on right here and what went on there for so long. So it's still, to this day, a very visceral experience for me just trying mm -hmm. to remember it. Yeah. So this is the trial of those who actually were working as administrators and higher-ups in that camp at the time. Out of the 40 defendants in that trial, 23 were sentenced to death by hanging, 6 to life imprisonment, 7 to 15 years imprisonment, and three to ten, five, and three years imprisonment, respectively. In other words, they looked at the specific things they committed in the camp and found the evidence that they defined, including eyewitness testimony of those who survived the camps, mm -hmm. who could, in fact, validate the testimony of two or three or four or five or a hundred witnesses right. of what they had done in that camp. One of those 40 was acquitted on all charges. And that man, as you mentioned, is named Hans Wilhelm Munch. We took this entry on the internet and put it into a document on our website. So if you want to actually read it for yourself and download the PDF, you can do that. And when you see the picture, you would say, well, that's just a war criminal. He's dressed like one. He's got his name on a placard in front of him like he's in a police lineup. As far as the evidence suggests, Dr. Munch was a card-carrying member of the Nazi party. And that's true. That's mm -hmm. been validated. And he's admitted it. Having joined up either out of genuine belief in their ideals or self-serving reasons to advance his own career as a doctor and a bacteriologist. So he was a well-trained, investigative, scientific doctor. Well, I looked up his history, and he actually studied at some very prestigious schools. He was a bacteriologist, which I think would be more like an infectious disease doctor, what we would call that now. Yeah. He was very good at it. In fact, he was denied service in the Wehrmacht, which is the Air Force of the Germans, because of his great abilities and talents. They said, no, 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 we don't want to risk losing you that way. We're going to keep you on the ground to take care of keeping our people healthy. Keeping our people healthy. Yeah. And other doctors that were sent to the front lines, he was held back to replace them and take care of people. So he was a very respected man in his profession. They saw him as being a national asset. Mm -hmm. In 1943, he was recruited by the SS, the Lightning Brigade, that protected the central Nazi party and were the vicious ones. They were the attack dogs of the regime. Yeah, they were scary. He was sent to assist with medical experiments in Auschwitz. Just hearing that sentence sounds horrible. Yeah. But something strange happened there. The hardcore Nazi refused to enable the crimes of his superior, Joseph Mengele, and at great personal risk, 
began assisting the camp's inmates. First, he outright refused to participate in the infamous selections at the railway platform, which determined who'd be put to work, who'd be experimented upon, and who would be put to death immediately. Now, we've been to Birkenau and Auschwitz, so we've seen these platforms or what's left of them when the train cars would come in and hundreds and hundreds of people would pile out of these train cars. When you go and see the museum there, you'll see there's actual photographs from when people were getting off the trains. And there's actually some film footage as well that I've seen. Basically, what would happen is these officers would walk through the crowds with dogs... Right. terrifying people. Yeah, and a long stick. And they would just tap people. And if you got tapped by this stick, you would go over to this side of the tracks. Sometimes it would stick that stick right through the middle of groups and just shove them to one side, shove them to the yes. other. It was the dividing yeah. of the sheep and the goats idea, literally. Yeah. The place where the person in command who was making those decisions stood was in an elevated platform above yes. there, a little railing around them with a little podium. Mm-hmm. It looked like, and I still think of it as being a pulpit, Yeah. And he would decide where each person was going, death or life. That was his decision. Dr. Munch would not participate in this selection process. And I think it was probably because he understood he couldn't look someone in the eye knowing they're going to die. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, emotionally sensitive in that regard. Secondly, he kept Mengele's victims alive by coming up with elaborate fake experiments that in reality were just a cover for providing people with actual medical treatment and keeping them from being killed as no longer useful. And finally, when leaving the camp ahead of the advancing Red Army, he gave his personal revolver to one of the prisoners. So he was determined to keep people alive, was working against Dr. Mengele, giving them medical treatment. When Dr. Mengele was injecting people with all kinds of bizarre toxins, Dr. Munch was helping them stay alive. So he sees the Red Army coming. He knows the war is over. What does he do? He lays down his arms and he doesn't surrender it to the Red Army. He gives us to one of the people harmed and to give testament to what happened at Auschwitz. That person could have very easily just turned the gun on him at that point. Quite possibly. There's something about his honor, which was respected by someone who was a victim. And not just a victim, but a survivor. Could give testament later and did, apparently, at his own trial. Mm-hmm. So there's something, I think, spiritual happening. Choosing to lay down your weapon, there's something about the spirit of Munch here, which I, I see in that one moment as being extremely explanatory of his nature or his soul, knowing all along that this was not right and that in surrendering that, he was giving someone else the power over his own life, mm-hmm. like those people had not had the choice to before him. Right. And that to me is a big, big deal. December of 1947, while the trials were going on, and people who had every right to hate the Nazis described the crimes of these 39 defendants in detail. The judges were surprised, and the prosecutors as well, by these people standing up for Munch, for an SS man and a member of the Nazi party who worked for one of history's greatest monsters, Dr. Mengele. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, 
Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. The judges were surprised, and the prosecutors as well, by these people standing up for Munch, for an SS yeah. man and a member of the Nazi party who worked for one of history's greatest monsters, Dr. Mengele. And no one expected it. They were really yeah. shocked when these people began to say, no, this man was a good man. This man worked against Mengele covertly trying to save lives in the camp. The communist prosecutors had to concede that their charges were unsubstantiated based on the testimony given on behalf of Dr. Munch, that he was a good man. And so they ended up releasing him. He was acquitted and he was permitted to leave and go back to his home in Germany and live out the rest of his life practicing medicine. Which he did. Questions about whether or not someone could really truly be that good in such a bad situation have been poking at the story ever since. Mm-hmm. It seems inconceivable to most people to believe that someone who is a card-carrying Nazi and SS member would really be, quote, that good. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other secrets of his life which came out later, which he readily admitted to, and that he, especially at the time he was in the party, believed the doctrine of the party. Yeah. He didn't say no to that accusation. He owned up to it. They could have, at that time, put him on trial again. It did, in fact, happen in France later, where he was then convicted in absentia by a French court because he was associated with and was in the party that was uniformly regarded as being a monstrosity against humanity. Mm -hmm. In that regard, yes, he's guilty of being a Nazi. He's guilty of being an SS. He's guilty of buying into a lie. So all those things are true about him. But... Those who were there, the ones who were at risk, they stood for him and said, no, this one is righteous. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to be righteous? That's the question I want to kind of raise for us right now. And we'll turn to some scriptures here at the end to wrap up today. But in your mind, honey, the idea of righteousness and one who stands in the place to do right, what is it about this story that resonates with the truth of scripture in your mind, but also is unique It reminds me to be careful about my judgments of other Mm. people, not to put people in a box, Mm. basically. He's a member of this political party. They're a member of that church. She's a member of that organization. And write them off just because of the company they keep, Mm. basically. While we were talking, one of the scriptures that came up in my mind, and it's not one that we discussed beforehand, but is the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And how this man, this Samaritan, had been put in a box because of his nationality, because of his ethnic background. Because of his heresy from the religion he followed. Because of his religion. And people hated him. Mm -hmm. He was hated. Yet he was the righteous one in the story. He was the man of peace. He was the one who sacrificed the most to take care of his enemy. He was the doctor that saved the beaten man's life. He literally wrapped his wounds. Yes. Maybe trained as a medic, for all we know. We don't know. The Good Samaritan was a savior in the worst situation when he knew, probably, at that time, he would not be regarded well for it. He would never be rewarded, period, for saving a life of somebody else, even if that person was honored and valuable to the society in which he lived. He did what was right at that moment because it was right to do it. Yeah, you're right. That's a good story to wrap around this. Munch played the part of the Good Samaritan to those who nobody in the world cared a whit about 
at that time. Mm -hmm. We look back on the Holocaust and say, it was horrible. How could that ever have happened? Well, one, because no one knew a whole lot about what was happening in the camps because it was secret. And secondly, because a lot of the world didn't look kindly on Jewish people at all Mm -hmm. already. In fact, most of America at that time especially was fairly anti-Semitic. And Jews who were living through the growth and expansion of the United States have plenty of stories over many generations of being ostracized or beaten or driven out or killed for their differentness as much as black people were in the South. They've got their own living memories within their communities of what it was like to have to endure American indifference or cruelty. Mm -hmm. So it was not uncommon in America to just kind of disregard the issue of Jewish rights during the war. It was only when the degree of the atrocity came out later that the rest of the world said, yes, this is unacceptable to anybody, no matter what you think of them going in. It was only after that we get the perspective. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. We go. know that. So Munch is living it, though. He's right in the middle of it, and he is a card-carrying member of the ones who are carrying it all out. Yes. The big question for me is, how can you really, really be righteous and not stand up against all this stuff and be in the middle of it and still be considered by those who are being harmed as being one who is righteous? It still baffles me. Yeah. And yet, on that specific question, did he, in fact, harm you? The individual responsibility, morally, ethically, legally. Every arrow pointed away from Dr. Munch Mm -hmm. because he made choices at great risk to himself to not do what others expected him to do or what would have been convenient or would have advanced his career and his esteem within his own society. Mm -hmm. He went against the grain on every level. And only in history afterwards can he be honored for that. I'm just glad that he was. Right. There probably are other people that died who had done the things that he had done, who will never be named in this world, in this life. Great is their reward. (laughs) In God's eyes, have the same kind of credibility before the throne of God that Mm -hmm. Dr. Munch had. Yeah, I agree with that. Another scripture that you brought to mind concerning the righteousness aspect, finding a righteous man or who lives out the righteousness of God, was from Micah 6.8, which says, He has told you what is good and what it is that the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Other translations use the word justly, mercy, and humbly. Mm -hmm. So to express and show mercy, you got to love it. Mercy is not something that just flows out of a will to say, oh, I'm going to be merciful to you. Merciful really does involve you, too. So I would say when God shows us mercy, it's not that he's just not taking out his punishment on us when he really wants to. Mm-hmm. It says something about God's nature. He loves mercy. He loves to be merciful. So that's what God is saying to us. Be like me. Mm-hmm. Act justly. There are plenty of times when we can do the right thing and be fair to people. Even if you don't want to be fair to them, you choose to do it anyway. Sure. But to love mercy, that's you. Mm-hmm. You're loving it. And then through both those things, to act justly and to love mercy, therefore to walk humbly Mm -hmm. before your God and with your God. That's what God requires of us. Not suggested, not an invitation, but requires of us. He's saying, if you want to be righteous, you've got to walk with me. You've got to walk where I'm going. And since you and I have talked so many times about being in the heart of darkness out there in the world and seeing the bad things that happen in refugee camps, etc., Where is God walking? He's walking deep into these places and being with the people who are there. And when we go with him into those places, now we are there with him doing his work and being him for people who can't see the eternal. I love that example, honey, because it reminds me that this doctor, Dr. Munch, was in the darkest place 
on the planet at the time. I don't know that we've heard more evil stories than those that have come out of Auschwitz and Birkenau. So seeing that this man was walking in that dark, dark place where evil was a constant. It was just a place of evil. And honestly, the two times that I have been to that place, I have felt the same thing, Mm. that same cold, desperate, empty feeling, Mm. knowing the atrocities that took place there. Dr. Munch walked into that place. He was recruited to go there, but every day he walked into that place of evil and determined in his mind to be a righteous man, to act justly, to love mercy. Another translation says to love continually Mm -hmm. and to walk in humble fellowship with his God. I don't know his relationship with God. We don't read that in any of the story or his religion. We don't read that anywhere. But this man walked in righteousness and walked in humble fellowship with God by the acts that he did, by the ways that he saved lives and the way that he loved unconditionally people that he was supposed to hate and took care of them. Jesus saying at the end of the Good Samaritan story, so which of these men, the priest, the lawyer, the scholar, or the Samaritan, which of these was a neighbor to the one who fell to the robbers? Mm -hmm. They couldn't even say Samaritan, but they had to be truthful in their answer. So the one who was being asked this question was said, the one who had mercy on his neighbor. Yes. That's the same story. 100% of the people that you hate, that I hate, that I disagree with. Or am tempted to hate. Am tempted to hate are people that are made in the image of God. That are his image bearers. Yes. And so the image, the imprint of God is still on them Mm -hmm. now. Yes. So if there's anything I would think that carries over from these scriptures and from this historical example and the living story that it is, this man lived a long life, a productive life, and died not long ago. Early 2000s, yeah. Is that it is still possible to experience this today. Mm -hmm. This is not a lost art. It's just been very quieted or pushed down or muffled in an age where rage is all the rage. I don't want to be responsible to my children and grandchildren for not standing in the place of peace, in the place of righteousness at a time when it was needed. And I, I believe that now in the early 21st century is definitely a time where those who pursue peace, righteousness, mercy, and want to walk with their God, ought to get on with doing it because it's needed right now. Mm-hmm. And to not avoid that call, I don't want to be on the backside of this thinking, man, I wish in the 2020s mm-hmm. I had stepped up and stepped in, not to call out everybody else's sin, but to not be the one that's causing sin to happen by the things I do that I let go and mm-hmm. don't do. I want to be that person. I want to at least look at the life of Dr. Munch and say, you know, God forbid that I should ever be in a dark, dark place like this myself and be responsible for the darkness. But even then, if I was stuck there, God help me that I would follow you and pursue righteousness and mercy and peace there. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself says he came to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, and he calls us to do the same. He calls us to bind up the wounds of those who are hurting and desperate and in very dark places. As believers, that is our mandate. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. And that is the example that we've been set by someone very unlikely. So it's our call for you this weekend as you go into your Sabbath rest, your time of fellowship and worship at your churches, perhaps, that you would be asking God, how can I step into being the person of peace and the one who heals, Mm -hmm. being part of your plan to redeem the world and bring it back to you, Mm -hmm. 
your nature and for them to experience you. That's our challenge or encouragement to you this weekend. And we thank you so much for spending time with us on Compassion Radio's 360. Next Monday, of course, back to the book of Haggai and our Chasing the Word series. We'll see you then. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.